All right, everybody, welcome to the Leadership Mastermind Podcast. I am your host, Mitch Peake, and this is my co-host, Laura Brandeo. How are you, Laura? I am wonderful, Mitch. Oh, my goodness. I'm so excited for this one because we have the one and only Jamie Cavanaugh. I, she doesn't really need an introduction, but we want to give her a formal introduction. She is the Chief Operating Officer and partner at AmeriFund Home Loans. Jamie's ability to combine her expertise in operations, sales, business efficiency, and vendor services through the eyes of an originator makes her a sought-after advisor to vendors various companies in the industries. With over 20 years in the mortgage industry, Jamie has been in executive leadership teams that has held executive board position at companies like Bank of America, Countrywide, Prospect Mortgage, and Mortgage Corporation of America. Her diversified experience includes compliance, origination, credit risk, post-closing, secondary marketing management, and Jamie's also an FHA DE underwriter, along with active California real estate license, NMLS endorsement, and she's a notary. So Jamie, thank you so much for being here today. We know we are going to learn so much from you. All right, Mitch, let's kick it off. All right. Welcome, Jamie. And I want to know how you accomplished all that <laughs> since the age of 10. I mean, You're you don't right. look a day over 30, so I don't oh, know how you got all right. that going. You're right. You know what? I'm going to visit this podcast more often because I'm definitely <laughs> this is kicking off. <laughs> awesome. Well, I'll tell you what, we want to welcome you aboard and I'm going to get you started with the first question. So what are your three key pillars to leadership? Mm, good question. Um, I would say the first and foremost is to lead by example. Uh, the second, listen with an open mind and open heart. And the third thing would be to empower others so that you're you're teaching them how to be successful. Awesome. Wonderful. All right. I want to take the second one about the listening, right? right? Because we all know that as humans, right, the second someone says says something, we're already processing in our brains what our reaction is going to be. So you know, in this, all these different positions that you've held and the experience that you've gained, how have you learned to become a great listener? And and please give your insights as to the value of being that great listener. Well, as with, I think, most of us, we learn by falling down. We don't learn the easy way. Uh, you don't learn it from a book. You don't learn it from somebody telling you uh, what to do. You, you learn it by making mistakes. And so mistakes are learning opportunities. And that plays right into this listening philosophy. Um, I was mentioning before we got started here uh, that I posted this, you know, kind of try to post something a little bit motivational when I can every day on Facebook. Um, and I think it motivates me as much as it does, you know, anybody else. But today's was perception is reality. And the reason it struck me was because it's something that, that a boss I had 20 plus years ago said to me when I was like a 22 year old executive in ops uh, who had dealt with a very difficult client. He, you know, we'd been in process like 45 or 60 days. And, and you know, he, he this client had uh, really beat up on my entire staff um, the whole time and he'd wanted to speak to me. And by the time it got to me, you know, I was like, I mentioned you, I was ready to roll. You know, I was like, you beat up my staff, you've treated them terribly, you know, the buck stops here. Um, and when when those words were spoken to me in a in a really calm way perception is reality it hit me and it's and it switched my thinking because the reality is valid or invalid um 
maybe the delivery from the customer left a lot to be desired. We can't always control the way people uh, treat others. But there's there's a takeaway in there somewhere, right? Because he didn't get to that level of frustration um, for no reason. Um, and so what I decided to do was take a proactive approach to that situation. And instead of you know, waiting for him to call me again, I called him and I wanted to hear the why. What was his journey? And and honestly, half the battle was just letting him speak, right. letting him share what his experience was and take me through the process of the pain points he felt and what got him to the level of upset that he was. And acknowledging that, it meant a lot to him, but it also meant a lot to me because I started taking notes. There were definitely some mistakes made along the way and things that we needed to do to improve our processes because although our workflow was great, we had tight operational processes in place, the customer's perception, the customer's experience wasn't that. What they saw, what they felt, what was being cascaded to them wasn't that. And so that is where listening is key. And like I think we've talked about many times, as human beings, when we get input, especially when it's negative, immediately we're gonna go into defense mode. And I don't think that's ever gonna change its human nature, but I think recognizing that and having um, the forethought to kind of just take a moment and listen and just kind of put that reactionary part of you over here while you're listening and process what's being said to you before you respond, it allows you to take that information in and, and do something meaningful with it, which is hopefully to make some, impactful change. And I think there's there's always a takeaway, no matter whether the person is rude or not, no matter whether they're valid or not, there's always some level of validity in whatever is driving that negative feedback. Yeah, yeah. And excellent, excellent point. And, and you know, it's interesting, Jamie, and look at us right here, right? Here we are on a virtual, you know, this, the last 18 months or so, right here we are, we've been virtual. And our brains are trying so hard to focus, right? We're trying to listen, we're trying to look, we're trying to, we're watching for distractions that might be happening around us, right, in our world. So I love that you said, take that moment to just stop and pause and just focus in on listening to that other person. Because I think, again, I think, again, biological, I think our brains are trying to process everything, right? We're trying to process our, our, our emotions. We're trying to, you know, analyze everything. And then we're trying to think, okay, this person's upset. How do I react? How do I use my voice? What do I say? What are the words? Do I ask them a question? So I think your advice right there of just pause. Yeah, I, think, right. I love it. Go ahead, Mitch. And I think, you know, with anybody, if you're receiving criticism, the, the first thing in your head pops up is, yeah, but. You know, and you got that in your head the entire time they're talking. You're ready to say, yeah, but I did this or yeah, but they did that. It's you got to get that out of your head. And I, I've learned that, you know, now that I have children that are, you know, 14 and 12 and, you know, they make mistakes and you're like, hey, you can't do that. Yeah, but <laughs> no, <laughs> that's that you can't have that mentality. You have to say, yes, I agree. You know, I may be messed up, but how could I, you know, fix it? How can I make, you know, things go better the next time? And like you said, with that customer in your head, you're thinking, oh, man, they were tearing my staff apart. But then you got to think he wasn't an upset customer because you gave him good service. Somebody somebody made an error ended up upset him and then you had the right approach to fix it. 
and you know listen to him and, and get so how do you get there though because <laughs> everybody has that that yeah but build up and ready to go it's so true and hey to this day i have my days i mean trust me my, my team will tell you we've had some doozies you know we've had a couple of, of folks uh especially during you know the the earlier part of last year when the pandemic first hit and the mortgage volume was like off the charts and every lender was backed up so were we no one could hire out of the volume everything was delayed customers weren't happy and it just didn't matter what any of us did it really didn't there weren't enough hours in the day there wasn't enough uh staffing people were were relocating to home uh, work environments yeah, you know, people were upset. I mean, and it wasn't just one customer. It was just a barrage all day, every day. And it was, it was really, I think most of us would agree, the leaders, we were the ones shouldering a lot of it because we couldn't put it on our staff. We had to take the burden of it. And most of the customers were getting directly to us because we were where the buck stopped and we had to be the ones that made all the apologies. And there wasn't an excuse for it. And there wasn't even necessarily a resolution for it. It was just, I'm going to be transparent with you and tell you what's really happening. I'm going to tell you our why as to why this is going on and why it is so atypical of what our typical service levels are. I'm going to tell you what I'm predicting you're, you're going to experience over the next 30 to 45 days. And I'm going to tell you that we're going to continue to do our very, very best and advocate for you. That doesn't mean that I didn't have days and moments where I wanted to snap back. And it also doesn't mean that there weren't customers that were so far out of line that I had to put them in check and say, hey, there's a limit to what we're going to do, what we're going to listen to and how long this is going to go on. So I think that there is a balance there, but as to how to get there, it is, um, it is a process of realizing that negative feedback is a gift and not a punishment. It is a, it is an understanding that telling you that you need to improve is not the same as telling you that you're a failure. It's not the same as telling you that you're bad. What it is doing is telling you that someone values you enough to let you know the areas that you can improve upon so that you can be the best version of yourself, whether that's in business or whether it's personally or as a leader to your team members. And I think that that again is, is really something that is valuable as opposed to something that should be looked at as, you know, a, a slap on the hand or a punishment. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. Well, there's a saying about that, right? It's when people stop speaking to you and pointing out how you can get better and be your best version of yourself. That means they care when they do that. So when that stops, that's actually the opposite reaction. That doesn't mean everything is glorious. That means ah, they're never going to change. They're, so they're you the yeah, they're throwing in the towel. Okay, I've tried giving them feedback. I've tried to encourage them to grow, but they don't want to. So you just give up. So that's a very good point. That's actually another level of leadership. That's awesome. They say the opposite of love is not hate. It's indifference. And the same goes for, uh, you know, a business relationship, just like any other. It's when that communication stops, you better be very concerned because indifference is uh, is the uh, the enemy of love. It is the, the antithesis of it. And it is a bad, very bad sign in any relationship. <laughs> Absolutely. So you, you've been leading for, for years now. Um, so tell us a little bit about number one. So how do you lead by example in your business now? Well, I'm, again, I'm far from perfect. It's really hard for me because I like, you know, I know I see all the things that I know that I could do better. But what I try to do is I think the thing that um, 
somewhere, somewhere in and around my 30s, and I'm not going to tell you how long ago that was, um, I, I sort of just started being comfortable in my own skin in a way that allowed me to be um, super authentic and transparent. And the more I did that, um, I think that the more people responded and listened because uh, I wasn't standing at a pulpit preaching. I'm not a dictator. Um, I am I'm a person who is not only capable of, but willing to and will absolutely roll up my sleeves um, and do anything that it takes. So. You know, there's no job that I'm above. There's no um, task that I won't do. And there's no, um, there's nothing I would ever ask of anybody that works with me or for me that I wouldn't do myself. And also, I wouldn't ask anything of them that I don't know they're capable of. And sometimes that means asking more of them than they think they're capable of, but I know that they are. And sometimes you have to bring out the best in people and, and ask them to push their limits a little bit in order to let them get to the next level. And I hope, I hope that by leading uh, by that kind of example, I hope that that's one of the reasons that I've been able to you know, build a team that's been with me for a, a pretty long time. Jamie, number one, you have to listen to my episode where Mitch interviewed me. I almost said verbatim <laughs> what you just said about rolling up the sleeves and not asking more and all the, you know, asking them to do something. But I really love this, especially what you said at the end, because championing for someone and showing them that you believe in them even more than they necessarily think they are capable of is such a valuable component of leadership so kudos for that yes absolutely i i agree and and laura's right her uh, response in our episode uh last week was almost exactly the same. <laughs> no surprise <laughs> yes, that was I'm in great company. It's an honor to be in uh, in company in that regard. So uh, this is so much fun, Jamie. That's I'm just enjoying this, right? Mitch is like, all right, these two are just <laughs> two p two peas in a pod, right? We've always hit it off since we met at the very first women's mortgage event. Yeah. You know, back in March in Irvine of, of 2020, like immediately. It's like, so weird that we instantly. It, it's so weird how you just click with some people, yeah. and it's like you've known them your whole career. You know when you meet someone and you know that you've walked a really similar path, and I'm like, oh yeah, oh yeah, she's been there. She gets it. <laughs> You, know, you, you can have that instant connection with people and then you know other people you have the instant opposite connection <laughs> you're like why do people like this person? those are the people i'm indifferent to as it turns out <laughs> those are the people what say that again and i'm indifferent to. <laughs> you know aren't aren't we all okay <laughs> that is true that is true so let, let's talk about empowering others so so what are you what do you do to like you you know you kind of mentioned it already that you give people tasks that you know they can do, but maybe they don't. So, how how else are you empowering people? You know, in your in your uh, company. Well, you know, I think um, it's really important to have one on ones with everybody on your team, and not talk about the day to day. What are their goals? Short term, long term, personal, professional. Um, somebody that works for you, especially somebody that work, has worked for you for a really long time, 
their goals may not be the same. I'm gonna give an example because it comes to mind of a person that's been with me for almost nine years. And uh, when she started with us, she was a junior loan processor, fairly new to the industry, kind of just learning the ropes of things. Um, and over the years, I saw that her knowledge had reached a level where she could easily carry a, a full pipeline as a senior processor. But I asked her a couple of different times, is this something that you're ready for? And she said, I don't think I want it. I don't mm -hmm. think I want the pressure. I don't think I want the stress. Different things were going on in life. She had had a new baby at one point, different, different understandable things. And so totally accepted that, let her continue to thrive in the role that she was in. But I checked in from time to time. And so most recently, about I don't know, three months ago or so, had a need for a senior again, pulled her back into my office and said, I know I've asked it before more than once, but I'm checking in with you again. Where are you at with this? And her answer was, I've been thinking a lot about it. I've been taking some classes at night, you know, online that I've, I've found to, to build up on my income uh, calculation skills. That's an area I feel I'm weak in. I'm ready. I want it. So she got it. And, and I put her on a training plan and, you know, we, we, we really, we mapped it out. It wasn't just like, here you go. It was, no, let's map this out so that you know, A, what we're expecting and B, the, the milestones that are going to get you from where you are now to where you want to be. And let's start entrusting you with more responsibility. Let's see how it feels for you. Let's see how it feels for us. 90 days later, she's one of my best processors, just like I knew she would be, but Three years ago, that wasn't where she wanted to be mentally, and today it is, and she's thriving. That is one of the ways that you can help a person grow. It's one of the ways that you can empower and champion someone to be their best. She's thriving where she is, and I could not be happier. So that's an example for you. That is such a great example. And, and it's so important, Jamie, right? Because you're right that although you may ask them that question when they first arrive, life happens right like you said maybe you have a young family maybe you're going to school at night to finish your degree maybe you're doing something or maybe you're scared right it might also be a combination of that but listening and taking the time to actually check in with them and see what's best for them is wonderful and how many times have we seen you know we were speaking before we went live that you don't see a lot of leadership training within the mortgage industry. And that's something I think now we're all speaking about it, right? And now we're bringing it to the front. So we're doing that. But how many times have you seen where people get promoted into managerial roles just because they were great at having a great, a big pipeline or they did the best numbers as a loan originator? That doesn't make them a good manager. So what are your thoughts on that? Like in, because we do see that. And what are your thoughts in that? Oh, I have seen, and I've made mistakes in my past and I've promoted people right out the door because I've promoted them right out of a perfect seat on the bus uh, and right into a situation where uh, they're not happy, they're not equipped, um, no amount of coaching gets them there and it, it ends up going badly. And again, I have myself to blame for that. You know, maturity, experience, the things you wish you had 15 years ago that I had maybe have more of today, you know, led, led to those decisions. But yeah, you're absolutely right. That is probably one of the most common things we see, especially in larger organizations. Um, and you see it even as, let's say, a mortgage broker like myself when I'm interacting with some of our wholesale partners and things like that, or, or even a vendor. 
I know immediately when I'm dealing with a frontline manager or somebody in leadership that is maybe not the strongest leader, but they had lots of technical skills and they're in the wrong seat. They're probably amazing at what they were doing before, but that does not necessarily make them a leader because it's a completely different skill set. And it isn't common to find somebody that has kind of both. It's not super, super common to find a person that's got, you know, heavy technical and analytical skills and also has the leadership skills because leadership skills are typically something that kind of develops over time. And so most people need a little bit of a path to growth there. Whereas I find a lot of people go right from a frontline support role into a leadership role with no path to growth, no training, no coaching, nothing. And that's why I'm glad podcasts like this are happening because I think there really is a need for it. And based on the feedback I get from lots of my, my colleagues in the industry, they want it. They need it. They're listening. They're paying attention. Yeah, and you're right. I think that's the old school approach is reward your top performers with, you know, managerial positions, but they may not be the right fit. So getting them in the right seat, like you said, on the bus is, is critical. So someone who averages, you know, is average at what they're doing may be a wonderful leader. Absolutely. That's right. So it's up to you as the, as the leader of the company to evaluate people based on that and not just reward those. But then you have to go back to, are you upsetting your top performers by not allowing them to climb the ladder? You know, how, how do you explain to them, okay, you're great at what you're doing, but this is what you should be doing. You're, you know, we don't want you moving into another role because it's not right for you. You have to get creative with people. You have to you have to develop ways for them to grow that may not be in the in the ways that we traditionally uh, view growth in a corporate organization. We view growth in a traditional sense in it's like a ladder in which everything is about titles and a chain of command. But the reality of the situation is that people are fulfilled whenever they are taking on more responsibility in tasks that make them feel successful. And it's not necessarily when you look at um you look at reports on attrition at companies. You look at reports on why people leave. It's very rarely is it about compensation, right? Very rarely is it about job titles. It is about employee satisfaction. It's about the culture of a company. When you have top performing individuals who are well compensated for what they do, but who may have outgrown the tasks that they're given, but might not necessarily be the types of folks that have the leadership skills that you need for a leadership role, find something else. These are people that need to have special projects assigned to them. These are people that need to be part of the development of new things for your company. These are the people that should be in meetings with you for strategy planning. You have no idea the value people feel when you ask them to come sit at the table with you and help make decisions. And you don't know the value that that brings to your company when you're not the only one making decisions. The input from others is, is, is invaluable, critical to any company's success. Yeah, I think there's a lot of people or companies out there that make the the error of introducing new systems or new, you know, things like that without getting input from at least the top performers in a company. Yeah, that, you know, that's a prop. That's a bad change management plan. Yeah, right. You because just out, you're like, hey, we're switching CRMs. This is what we're going to do going forward, and everyone's like, whoa, what? We're like, well, who it's decided cheaper. this? It's, it's supposed to be <laughs> yeah. better, and your people are like. Well, well, wait a minute. We don't know nothing about this. If you would have sat down with your top three performers and been like, hey, this is the pros of this new system. What do you think? 
then you get their input. If they buy in, then the other people are going to buy in. That's exactly right. You know, yes, so. you'll have greater adoption because they'll be your the, your ambassadors, right? They'll say, oh, this is so cool. Wait till you see how easy this is. And the next thing you know, even if it's not cool or easy, they'll go along with it. So absolutely. Oh, Jamie, it's well, it sounds like you've learned lots of lessons, right? <laughs> so, um, and I love that you used one of those lessons in regards to how to better listen and the value of that. What are some other things that you have learned about putting people on, in the right seat on the bus? Because I think as a leader, if you can master that skill of knowing what seat is best, I think that makes such a fantastic team and culture and everyone wins. So I know that's not an easy skill and I know that's not an instant skill. You get better at that in time. So how would you give some advice out there about being re getting really great at putting those people in the right spots? I think that um, this is a two-part answer depending on the size of your organization. Whether it's you in charge of everyone or you with leaders that support you who oversee others directly, pay attention to each and every person within your organization because everybody is different. There are people who will quietly sit at their desk and be a top performer every single day, never ask for a thing, but silently feel underappreciated. There are people who are uh, competitively outperforming or trying to outperform everybody who thrive on public recognition. What I would say is, in addition to understanding from a tactical perspective, what each person's skill set is for the organization and what seat is best for them, also be very mindful of how people receive uh, feedback, positive feedback especially. Um, make sure that you are speaking at, at, a, at a level that everyone can hear because people, people receive information very differently from person to person. And make sure that you're nurturing every single one of your employees, whether that, again, is yourself or whomever their direct supervisor is, because you'd be surprised at what is going on in the mind and heart of your staff because they're either afraid to tell you or they think that they're a bother or you're too busy and they will go on for weeks and months not being fulfilled. And guess what that translates to? Let's forget about the business side of things and that they're not as productive as they could be. They're also unhappy and they might be looking elsewhere and you might lose a really great employee just because nobody was paying attention. And so that would be my greatest advice. Yeah, that's very true because, you know, being in sales my whole life, you know, I've seen there are people that love you know, getting an award in front of 300 people and being, you know, cheered on as they come to the stage. But there's other people that don't like that. They yeah. would much rather you just bring them into their office, your office and say, man, you're doing a fantastic job, <laughs> pat on the back and send you on your way. So, you know, if you promise them the glitz and the glamour and the lights and fame, they might not perform because they're like, I don't want all that. <laughs> I don't want to be in the spotlight. Respect and honor each person and where their comfort zone and boundaries are in terms of that kind of recognition. Because for some people, it is a crippling fear to pull them up on a stage. Don't do that to those people. Understand them, respect them. They'll appreciate you for it. 
Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. You know, it's interesting. We had a, a guest on the podcast where he spoke a lot about personality tests and and different, you know, and understanding the proper way to communicate exactly what you were saying. How do your team members like to receive that feedback, right? And how do they want to be rewarded? Some people are motivated in one way, another person may be reward, want to be motivated in another. And listen, that's, you know, you years ago, it wasn't like that. Everyone kind of just, here's the box, this is what everybody fits into. But we've learned so much over time. And we now know that once we can dial in to the individual, we can make them feel happy and fulfilled. And of course, it's a great benefit to our companies and our clients. Yeah, very interesting. Yeah, I think the, the pandemic has probably uh, helped us even more understand how people work better and feel better about what, you know, what they're doing and how you're responding to them just because there's, <laughs> there's so much out there as far as working from home and having to have time to go walk the dog. And, you know, you have people you're gonna to have to manage them a lot differently going forward because I don't think everybody's going back to the office anytime soon and, and probably never. I mean, a, a large percentage of businesses are probably like, oh, this makes sense, you know? I, I still go to restaurants in Iowa and, you know, like fast food that's open, but they don't have a dining room open anymore. Uh -huh. You know, like, I don't know what the reasoning is if they just are like, it's too much work, you know? It's, <laughs> it's too much work having that open and cleaning up after people and hey, we'll just send them through the drive-through and it's easier. So there's a lot of changes coming, you know, that we may not notice now, but eventually it's going to all come to light when this is over and you'll be like, oh, you know, <laughs> it's going to be different for, for a long time to come. Yeah, things are, are um, definitely, there are things that are irreversibly changed in our world. I think work and life, which used to be so distinctly separate, have merged into one and employees are now trusted to just get the job done in a lot of ways, much more so than in the past, where it's like, you know, you, you're gonna put in your day, you're gonna get your job done, you may take different breaks at different times to do things because you're at home and you're managing, at least for a great part of the last 14 months, you're managing schooling your children at home while you're also trying to work and, and everybody just adapted and isn't it amazing that we did? We sure did adapt and look at our mortgage industry as, a, as an amazing example of an industry that thrived through that that um, that persevered through that. And even with all of those changes, here we are. So it can obviously be done. And that is one of the things I agree with. That, um, the remote work situation probably will never go away and probably will be more prevalent across all industries than ever before. Um, because, because business owners that previously didn't uh, buy into that philosophy had no choice and now see the benefits of it uh, over uh, you know, an office environment. We happen to be in office here, for the most part, I do have some remote employees, but mostly that's their choice. I, you know, When we had the option to, to reopen, it was like a stampede. <laughs> Everyone was like, I'm coming back, I'm coming back. So that's what we did, um, but we left it to the, the team to decide individually what they wanted to do and either way it works fine for us so yes we adapt right and you know most people working nine to five before and they're coming home at five and they're throwing their you know the laptop aside and be like i'm done with this day and you know move into personal life but you know now it's like you said it's intermingled they're yes they're taking breaks throughout the day to do other things but they're also working you know after supper or when the kids go to bed um you know it's kind of intermingled and i think that's it's probably better for everybody's mental uh, health <laughs> to in you know to get that stuff 
together because you see so many people that miss work because they got doctor's appointment and they miss right. work because of this and yeah you know they don't have they didn't have the ability before to make that up you know it wasn't like they could just go home and and work for a couple hours but i think people feel obligated to do so you know they're like oh i didn't get this done today because of this so i'm gonna go home and and, and take care of it so yeah. there's definitely advantages to that so yeah, we yeah. So, Jamie, you know, since this is leadership topic, right, we've spoken a lot about how to lead our teams and how to grow and develop and champion and empower and listen and all that great stuff. Right. I want to know, I think leadership uh, starts with ourselves leading ourselves. Right. And of course, we've all over time. Right. We mature into that also. So what's your advice? to people out there of leading ourselves and kind of keeping ourselves in check. And especially, listen, the pandemic kind of threw all of us out of whack and we had to, you know, figure out how to adjust and adapt and do everything else. But what's your advice of starting with yourself? Oh, and this is, uh, I will openly admit that it is a big personal struggle for me to uh, to carve out time for self-care. If I had to look at the pandemic, like my self-care routine went like this the whole time because it was, the good news is there was always an awareness, but the bad news was I had to keep reeling myself back in and reminding myself to stop and pause again and go back to the self-care routine because it would, you know, it would invariably fall to the bottom of the priority list, um, you know, under everyone and everything else in life. So I would say I cannot stress the importance of it enough. And that extends to every area of your life, because if you are not well rested, well nourished, mind, body and spirit, you cannot be the best leader, you cannot be the best partner, you cannot be the best parent, you cannot be the best anything. And and it's kind of like uh, the analogy when you're on an airplane and they show you the oxygen mask and the first thing they tell you is to put your own mask on first. Why? Because they don't need you losing oxygen and passing out before you can help the person or the child or whoever is next to you. The same exact principle applies in leadership and everything else in life. You've got to put your own oxygen mask on first. Take care of yourself first. Um, please take care of yourself first because if you don't, then who will? And if you don't, you can't be there for everybody else. You're, you've got, you can't run on an empty tank. So self-care, super important. Yeah. And as a leader, if you're not taking care of yourself, that's going to get, it's going to go out towards the people you're leading because if you're having a miserable time and you're dealing with things that you're not taking care of, then you're going to be, you know, taking that out on people that you care about. And Absolutely. You know, yeah. And that, that's a very good point, Mitch. You know, when, you know, Jamie mentioned that she sets the example, please know all of us, I don't care who's listening to this right now. Everyone is watching you, meaning whether it's your child, whether it's your team, whether it's your spouse, your partner, your friends, your family, people are watching you and they look to us for, are you okay? Mm -hmm. And the minute we look tired or the minute we're really cranky or the minute we're off, people are like, are you okay? Something's not right. So starting with yourself and showing that, you know, if I came on here looking really exhausted and sounding down, 
you would be like, something's up. <laughs> Let right. that's not Laura. Something's wrong here, right? So you're always being kind of watched out there of, are you okay, Jamie? Okay, wait, Jamie's off a little bit. She she had a post on Facebook that was really negative. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> something's not right. Don't think it's like a pointed <laughs> remark or something. I'm like, oh gosh, no, I was just, you know, it's just something that hit me. I, not, not even specific. But they're watching. Yes, yes. They're watching. People are always watching that stuff. So take care of yourself. And listen, we all have bad days. Sometimes you have to take an extra moment. Sometimes you have to do something. Go get a pedicure or something. I know that works for me. <laughs> so things like that, take care of yourself. Because when you feel good, you can lead others. I love it. Yeah, I just saw a thing the other day. I think it was like Mr. Rogers. And he was talking about how he... Uh, you know, everybody has anger, but it's what you do with it. And he had a bad day at work and he went to see his grandkids and they were spraying hoses and he was grumpy. And so he's like, you know, I'm just going to tell you now, don't spray me, you know, and they're like, okay. And then he said the one grandchild got closer and closer and he yelled at him and he was like, all right, that's it. Turn it off, go inside. And he was like, then I got home and realized, well, I was a jerk. You know, he's, he never sprayed me. You know, I just took off my bad day out on him and you know, he, he had to call and apologize. And he said, you know, he said, Grandpa, I understand. We all, you know, we all do things that, you know, we shouldn't sometimes and it's okay. And he's like, if I would have never apologized, I would have never got that from my grandson, you know, that he understood that everybody makes mistakes. It was just a bad day. But yeah, whether it's a good day or a bad day, the people you talk to are going to feel it. So you got to make sure you're taking care of yourself for sure. Hundred percent. I love and I love that story. <laughs> and I'm picturing like the little kid, like <laughs> right. here, Grandpa. <laughs> a little bit closer, a little bit closer. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. All right, so Jamie, I do have to ask because I haven't spoken to you in a while. How are you feeling about the market? What are you thinking of the next cycle? What what's going on in your world? You know, since since we've got you here, I'm dying to know. Sure. Yeah, you know. It's been around a while. It's just another cycle like they all are. Um, I tend to not panic because we've sort of seen it all. And when you've been through the Great Recession and the crash and all that stuff, you kind of feel like, you know, it's it's one of those things. We all knew it was coming. Um, I don't think it's as permanent, uh, though, um, as, as some people may fear that it is. I, I do think um, I listen a lot to a lot of the market experts, and I do think that there's going to be a little bit of a rebound toward the end of the year, beginning of next. I hope that that's the case. But I also think that the purchase market we know is absolutely crazy. Oh. Uh, supply and demand still the big driving factor there and the biggest, uh, the biggest issue uh, for buyers. And uh, quite frankly, that's fine for us because it means the purchase market is going to continue buzzing and that means more purchase buyers which is a phenomenal business plan to have as a mortgage broker purchases are, are always great somebody's always buying so you know for me in terms of what we're doing here i already kind of started a while back doing all the old school stuff you know time to do some direct mail time to do some local radio time to do which is awesome silly stuff that people go oh what's the point no it's there there's the point get back to your database don't stop don't stop proactively doing all the little supplemental things that you've always done because those are the things that keep the calls coming in and the online leads coming in and all the things that we do that sustain us. And that's where we are. So yeah, business is definitely 
uh, not where it was six months ago, but where it was six months ago was was not even close to reality, and we yeah. all knew that. I, I don't think anyone could have possibly, realistically thought it was going to maintain there, right? No. But I agree with you, Jamie. It, it's all cycles. That's what our industry always is. Um, you just have to get used to it. And great advice, what you just said, don't ever stop. It doesn't matter what the market is. It doesn't matter what the predictions are. None of us ever know what's truly going to happen. So stay true to that database. Do the things that you consistently been doing. And just keep planting those seeds because that's what we have to do anyway, regardless of what the cycle is. Mm -hmm. So is the uh, housing shortage like the toilet paper and the gas? Is that what we're? Is that what everyone's like? There's no houses. Actually, yes. So, so then everybody just Very runs out to so. buy a house. Very much so, and I, I mean, I think a lot of um, home sellers even now they're starting to change, but you know, had been not letting people into their homes because of the pandemic. You know, so you had fewer people listing, you had fewer people giving access to their homes, you had um, people nervous about making big financial decisions because of the job situation as a result of the pandemic, again, all pandemic related. So um, A, time of year, we're coming up into you know the buying season now, and then B, coming out of the worst of the pandemic, we're gonna start to see the surge. So we already have, you know, more demand than there is supply, which is which is driving prices up to the hill. But now you also have the home buying season hitting. You have us coming out of this pandemic. For for the purchase market, it's it's going to continue. I don't see an end in sight for this kind of craziness that we're we're dealing with. Um, and so our chief concern is going to be the appraisal challenges and timing and finding appraisers and the value stuff where you know you can't even find comparables. You know early and quickly enough to substantiate these crazy values and prices that homes are going out at those are the things we're dealing with right now you know and and that's the challenge really well let's let's talk about mailing and radio and stuff like that because i always hear people tell me oh you know people aren't doing that anymore well to me that means then you should be doing it <laughs> if, if they're not getting 32 mailers this week and you're the only one well that's probably a smart move so when people tell you oh you know, mailers, no one's doing that anymore. Oh, radio ads, no one's doing that anymore. Billboards, no one's doing that anymore. What, what do you have to say about that to the to Well, the for me, it's always been about our database. And I, I preach this everywhere I go. Database, database, database. We've never stopped nurturing it for decades. It's what has sustained us and continues to sustain us. So I'm always in my, in my database space. Postcards to my database, you know, local ads for me in my market do work because I live in kind of a little bit of a traditional society kind of area here. Um, it's a part of Southern California um, outside of LA, um, very tight knit community. It's my hometown here. So our local newspaper, you know, that goes out, we're in it. We get lots of calls and recognition from that. Our local radio station is local to us. So it's a country music station. So when they hear it's my voice on the ad, they know me they're like oh it's Jamie you know they're calling me or my team for the loan those are the reasons those things work for us they may not work in a, in a large-scale greater Los Angeles area but they do work for us um, and so I use them more as a supplement to all the other stuff we always do we have the technology we have the drip campaigns we have the, the dialing for dollars happening but we also have these other things happening so that there's there's never a time where AmeriFund's not going to be the very first company that my clients think of when they need to do anything or when they have somebody to refer for a mortgage all right so when, when someone asks you should we do this or do that the answer is always both just always do, 
it's a commitment of it's a fund commitment. I mean, direct mail is not cheap. And so to me, it's a cost of doing business. To me, when I look at my marketing budget and I start to it's just part of what I know has has got to keep going. Again, going to that consistency conversation it, because it's something I've always done. And because my database management is so critical to our business model, it has to be one of the things I spend my marketing dollars on. That might not be the case for a newer loan officer who maybe doesn't have a, a massive book of business. They might have a different approach. But if you have a decent book of business and the wherewithal to do it, I say do it. Are, are they working? Do you think that direct mail is working more during the pandemic because people are home and people are probably... You think people are probably reading their mail more and, and seeing yep. those things more? Yep. And I do postcards so that there's nothing to open. Just little things, you little tricks, you know, tricks of the trade, certain sizing that is bigger than your average so that it's really, you know, it sticks out. I was trying to think if I had one handy, I don't, but, um, you know, they're big. So it's just little things you, you kind of learn over the years that, that work better than others and um, a dedicated phone number on it so that I know if somebody's responding to that particular thing, that that's where it's going. So as I'm tracking, tracking my marketing dollars, I know that's performing well, that isn't, make adjustments as necessary, just all part of the game. Well, that, that's good advice because, uh, you know, it, it makes sense that you track where it's coming from because if not, you're just you're just throwing darts at a wall and, and hoping and hoping you get you get some points back somehow. That's like when you buy online leads or you buy leads from a company, you don't have a, a lead management system in place. Like I, I made a comment on someone's post the other day, you know, don't buy leads if you don't have lead management in place unless you like lighting your money on fire. Because if you don't have a nurturing plan in place, those leads are going to go to waste. So you've got to have the the plan in place to, to nurture and monitor and manage any lead you have whether it's an existing client or a new one you've got to you've got to be proactive you've got to have that going if you don't have it again what is my favorite word consistency my favorite word ever 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 on earth and to Laura's point as I tell my team all the time you are planting seeds in a market like this it's not refi world you're not picking low-hanging fruit anymore you're not gonna get you know a refi in five minutes you're gonna be planting seeds every single day and it's gonna take time for those seeds to sprout but they will they will. So plant them every single day. Yeah, absolutely. And keep watering them. Keep watering them. <laughs> you have to keep watering them. All right, Jamie, you are awesome. You are amazing. This was so insightful. We spoke about how to be a great leader to ourselves, to our teams, to the world. And you also give some very tactical advice on how to adapt, how to change, how to plant those seeds, how to make sure you're ready for whatever the cycle is. So of course, if anyone isn't connected to Jamie on social, follow her. She gives great insights and some great motivational, inspirational, educational, all different kinds of things. And I guess LinkedIn, Facebook, what do you, what do you think, Jamie? What's best? Facebook is probably my primary, uh, source you know that because you're my friend there and you see my stuff and i see yours uh linkedin is i've been getting a little bit more active there and posting some interesting articles and things like that but i'd say go find me on facebook um jamie cavanaugh i'm there I'm, I'm all over it um you can always email me jamie at amerifund.com um find me i'm easy to find and happy to help anybody in our industry that's ever looking for any guidance or advice if you're starting out if you're established and you you uh, got some value out of this and i can be of service to you in any way I'm happy to help. And Jamie's not just saying that. That no. actually is Jamie. Yes. Absolutely. You are wonderful. You are too, my friend. Thank you. 